This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support, especially tonight, since you are allowing this show to be heard by those who cannot afford it. If you are not a member, consider subscribing. This is what keeps this program moving forward without any commercial interruptions or censorship. So if your conscience dictates, subscribe or make a donation by going to our website, veritasshow.com and clicking on the donation button. Tonight's special guest is someone you've been waiting for since his last appearance in November. Cliff High from halfpasshuman.com is back with the latest of what the webbot finds for our future. It seems that every time we have Cliff on the show, times become more and more chaotic. Apparently, that is the norm. Can the world continue this way? Tonight, we'll go around the world with everything that matters to you and your loved ones. Cliff High 
will be with us shortly. Tonight's show is available to everyone via streaming for one week. If you are a Veritas member, of course, you can download it. Remember, we survive on your voluntary subscriptions only. So if you enjoyed tonight's show, subscribe by visiting our website at veritasshow.com and clicking on the subscribe button. You'll receive over 134 shows, Veritas TV, and access to the very special Manticore Forum, where you can interact and discuss what is relevant around the world. All of this for the price of two cups of coffee, $7.95 per month. You can stream or download on demand in CD audio quality and take Veritas with you wherever you go. Subscribe today. And if you have a slow internet connection or don't have that much hard disk space, consider purchasing our futuristic 8GB metal-cased USB drive containing Seasons 1 or 2, including bonus material. What bonus material? Well, among all of it, CIA and FBI declassified files on Werner von Braun, Tesla, and Einstein. A lot of survival documents, the best music of our show, discontinued NASA footage they don't want you to see, and much more. For more information, visit the Veritas store to find out what else is included. And you must have heard of the new E. coli outbreak. To be prepared for this and any other threat, purchase MMS right from us. Don't know what MMS is? Do yourself a favor. Go to the past shows section of our website and find the interview I did with Jim Humble, entitled Jim Humble versus the FDA. Find out why this is one of those inexpensive items that you are better off having and not needing than needing and not having. And if you need to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website, see me at the forum, and join me on Facebook. If even a fraction of the global human population is latently psychic, then there is the possibility that an anomalous, systematic, collective human mental power may be potentially suggesting whether they know it or not, events that may occur in the future. Even a small fraction of psychic individuals constitutes a large number of people on the planet today. If even a small percentage of the global population, now at 7 billion human beings, is even subconsciously suggesting in random conversations across the internet the potentiality of future events, then an enormous data set of emotionally laden suggestive language is being created every second of every day as human beings converse with each other. How often have you had a thought then had a confirmation almost directly afterwards? You think of a friend and immediately that friend texts you or calls you or you have a sense of an event occurring just to have it happen immediately afterwards. You are not alone when these events are happening and those events may have more meaning than you know. These synchronicities, although unexplainable to Western scientists before the advent of quantum mechanics, were often played off as coincidence or chance. But the reoccurring nature of these events all across humanity suggests otherwise. Remember, just because our Western science cannot explain it does not mean it does not exist. Therefore, human beings, even if only a small portion, and even if only by an unknown latent ability, 
may be inherently psychic, and many of them, in concert, could potentially be forecasting events, great and small, that would be intrinsically tied to every human being. To discuss the latest webbot findings, Cliff High is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. And it has been a few months since he was here with us. And every time he's on this show, the world is chaotic. Well, I'm sure we all agree the world hasn't been as chaotic for quite some time as it is now. Support his work and buy his reports by visiting his website at halfpasshuman.com. And without further ado, we are all privileged to welcome our friend, Cliff High, back to Veritas. Hello, Cliff, and welcome back. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you back, Cliff. And since time is such a precious commodity, let's begin. Can you tell us what the WebBot is all about? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> just, just kidding. I just, I just wanted to break the ice. If anybody who's listening to us doesn't know what the WebBot is, maybe they've been living under a rock. But let's seriously start. There's a lot of stuff to cover. Due to the cyber attack that trashed model space and the first 15 and 20 pages of your scheduled June shape report release. Is there any important information that we should know about before the delayed shape is released in July? Well, there's, there's the rub though. Um, it's a little bit complex, but the shape report that was trashed will never see the light of day because we're mainly dealing with immediacy values at the moment. Those are predominant in model space in a vast quantity, maybe 70, 30, something like that, a ratio close to that level. And so in order to produce the next report, I've got to get ahead of those immediacy values. And that means that the next report will be um, more focused from July onward. So to a certain extent, uh, that report is gone and we're just going to have to we're going to be living through the time that it was going to be forecasting. Uh, Yeah, there's quite a bit of information that we lost. There was a number of pages in there about the shock that's going to be coming to the global markets. And the, what was uh, interesting for me at the time that I started doing the interpretation was the repetition of words that were within the group that shock is a descriptor of. And so it was as though model space was attempting to make a point uh, repetitiously by approaching it from many different angles, uh, almost poking you in the face <laughs> with all these different uh, interpretations for the word shock and and it was n- not satisfied with that it said and after the shock <laughs> there will be a whole shock about how big the shock was <laughs> so so uh, <laughs> now is that going to be a, a major crash well I've got people that are in the long wave group stuff that are saying it's underway at the moment and we're seeing the burbly little edges of what will become a hugely large 
downturn in the uh, fiat markets. All the conditions are ripe for it. So I, I, at this point, uh, I'm really cursing the the virus that ate the report and the rest of that machine because it was uh, likely going to be very prescient and the report had a lot to say about what we're going to go through over June, July, and August. And we hadn't even really gotten into the data much at that point. Let me start with some of the key elements that uh, we see in geopolitics right now. I was having a discussion with Jay Whitener last week and we can't find any explanation as to why the world's best scientists and engineers are not descending upon Fukushima, Japan, to help those poor people. What's preventing that? Shouldn't saving lives be more important than saving face? Yes, but there may have, and in fact, there's some evidence to support the idea that there's been a fundamental change in the nature of the global populace. And what I'm going to describe is going to sound on the far side of woo-woo. You know, it's on the other side of the woo-woo protection blanket peeking out from the edge. But here's here's the concept. The various groups of the planet, of the populace of the planet, are now reacting in a large scale differently than they have in the last five years or so. The change was reasonably sudden. It was ahead of Fukushima, but Fukushima is an accurate uh, symptom of it. And the change is basically a, I don't want to know, uh, syndrome. Now, it doesn't affect everyone. It appears to have affected, if you will, the largest mass of the populace, which would be, let's just say, uh, the sheeple consciousness. And they do not want to know. And they are now uh, in active denial mode. Now, this is very interesting because a number of years back in one of the early Alter reports, like in 2003 or so, we kept getting this whole reference to the sun disease and people walking around and suddenly standing in the middle of the street drooling on their shoes. And their mind, it's like all the synapses are firing, but nothing's working. So all the lights are on, but nobody's home and all the windows are open. And uh, we think that what we're seeing now is a setup for that. So the yes, everybody in a rational species environment should be descending on Fukushima right now with with masses amount, massive amounts of boron and uh, some form of uh, time encapsulation to shut down the issue of the radioactivity. However, you'll notice that the media killed the story here after it was given its uh, uh, minimum uh, allotment of time. And then that uh, has been the pretty much the condition all the way around the planet insofar as the mainstream is concerned. And yet, it, and at the same time, we now see that there's this like dampening down effect uh, in many of the populations, especially as regard to the linguistics. Yeah, it's show, it was showing up in our data trends. It may indeed be part of the whole uh, data gap evolving into a hard stop. Uh, process, if you will. It gets really complex and, and it uh, has, you have to view it uh, interlinking with itself at a level of efficiency uh, that's actually a little bit frightening. But imagine a situation where the vast uh, herds of sheeple grazing across TV land in the, in the planet, in all the developing populations, all the developed world, and everywhere where there's electricity, that all the sheeple are given, if you will, a mind blanket. And we pick that up in our language as their language 
in essence, ratchets itself down. That mind blanket is also coincident with such things as Fukushima. That's why you don't see the populations in an uproar over it, even though they're all sitting around here uh, uh, basically being irradiated. It, it, as I said, though, it doesn't seem to affect everyone. So the non-sheeple are even more outraged, but also more isolated at the moment, I think. Make sense? Absolutely. And I'm going to be all over the place because the sure, world has sure. too, too many geopolitical matters taking place right now. The new E. coli strain originating in Europe. It shuts down your kidneys and destroys your liver. 18 yeah. people dead and 1,500 ill as of last night. It's a new strain of bacteria that is highly infectious and toxic and has never been seen before and it's antibiotic resistant. Time to stock up on MMS, folks. What do you see developing here? Uh, we've had uh, issues with in the past, in the ALSA reports and the early SHARP reports with uh, disease rampages, uh, rampaging. And this can be expected from our viewpoint from the, oh, I don't know, 2004 or so onward. We had data sets that went to um, large areas of the population being impacted, ultimately leading to the forecast of 1.89 billion dead. Uh, it's it's sort of to be expected, okay? We can look at it at a rational level and say this is to be expected when a species in a finite environment op operates and makes uh, things happen the way that we have demonstrated in the past, which is basically to consume it all. So we can look at this as though the human species is in a giant petri dish and not on a planet, but basically it's the same thing, just an issue of scale. Within the petri dish, there is X amount of food and X amount of other supporting necessary resources such as minerals, nutrients, etc. Same thing here on the planet. And so if you allow bacteria within a petri dish to just grow and colonize it, you will find that they will eat from where they start and, and spread out in a ring until they reach the outer edge of their petri dish and, and basically consume everything. Usually most of the bacteria dies and leaves a, and it ends up leaving about uh, 4 to 10 percent of the media left in the petri dish after the bacterial colony has, uh, has basically perished from lack of further resources. And we're seeing it in microcosm and we're seeing it in the macrocosm so and in all the levels of abstraction. So look at this weird weird level of abstraction here about uh, consumption and where we're headed. Uh, the all Ponzi schemes are pyramid schemes. They call them thus because each layer, because the pyramid grows from the bottom downward, pushing those on the top upward. When they do so, each layer in the bottom must be larger than the layer that is uh, that it has to be shoved underneath in order for the whole thing to keep going and be supported. And thus a pyramid scheme rapidly grows from its inception as a con up to the point where you've got to have a very large population. Uh, so uh, it's a more than a doubling issue. It rises exponentially. And pretty soon that large population that has to be involved doesn't exist and the pyramid schemes collapse. We're in one right now. That pyramid scheme we call the U.S. dollar. And we've unfortunately reached the, the ultimate end of all pyramid schemes, which is there's no greater population to sell the worthless dollar to in order to get value out of it because we can't grow another layer underneath 
a pyramid scheme where the whole planet is involved. So in that sense, there's a layer of us acting as a uh, bacteria in a finite resource petri dish, consuming all the resources, and our colony is about to collapse. So all of these things make sense as occurring now with the large level of growth of the population if we assumed that it is natural for our population to demonstrate these behaviors, and it may not be. Humans may be operating this way, but it may not be natural for us to do so. Long-winded way of saying that, uh, that there may be some significant level of manipulation of mass populations on the order of, let's put a pebble or, or a little penny on this railroad track in order to derail that whole train. Does that make sense? It does. And, and as you were saying that I was envisioning a pyramid where to create more rich, you need more poor at the bottom of the pyramid. Correct. And it must grow and it must grow and it must grow. And then it, ultimately you can't sell it to anybody because there's no one left who hasn't heard of right. it and knows it's a scheme and is, isn't trying to bail on it. And we're right at that edge right now. And all of the whole a planet that it can be telecommunicated to is basically been bought in on the dollar scheme and it's collapsing and we're seeing the effects through ripple through the whole system in numerous ways now what they'll try and do uh, by they I mean the powers that be is that they'll try and rerun the game by which they'll try and reset everything back to zero with themselves as owners of it all and start it all over again with just a larger slave population with a brand new pyramid scheme figuring it'll take X number of years to run out and we know the amount of time now because it's curious of course that that uh, all paper currency schemes is, have always died in the uh, natural lifespan of a, of a human within what the Romans would call a seclorum. And uh, as such as the first Chinese paper schemes, they usually died out at around 62 to 63 years. Uh, the John Law scheme, all of these are dying at about the same rate as the population in which they're begun. They all die when they reach the borders of the states in which they were originated in and their uh, set of influence, meaning that... Um, you're Mongolian and some Chinaman wants to sell you something back in the 5th century BC and uh, or buy something from you and he wants to give you this paper stuff. And you say, no way, I, I'm not Chinese. I don't know the, the Chinese government. I'm not going to take that stuff. And, and at that point, the scheme has to turn back in on itself. Only in this case, we don't have any other place for uh, any of our resources to be obtained from uh, in exchange for the dollar. The dollar is going through a... Uh, it's death throes. The government's reacting to that with its little business, uh, its little theater about uh, the debt ceiling and trying to be righteous about deficits as though that's now meaningful. And it is no longer. The currency is about to take a big wallop and the um, uh, data seem to really reflect that as though this would be a very unusual summer leading into just a staggering September and October. And just as the engineered Great Depression they kill the value of all the assets, they buy them all, and then they start selling them to us at a premium. Correct, correct. And the Dow fell 257 points just a few days ago. The monetary system is not sustainable. If the economy is a human body, it's now showing that the body is not reacting to any medication. Quantitative easing, bailouts, and about one-third of all homeowners with a mortgage are underwater, and real estate prices keep falling. Home prices are at about 33% less than on July 2006, 
And there are big cities like Las Vegas and Tampa with 70 to 85% of homes underwater. And they're expected to fall 5 to 10% more this year. And remember, during the Great Depression, the most real estate prices fell was 31%. As of right now, real estate prices have fallen 33%. And there's no bottom in sight. And they keep calling this a recession. What do you see for the real estate market and what are homeowners supposed to do? Well, the real estate market is going to succumb to revolution. And homeowners are going to have to make a decision as to whether that's actually a home or it was purchased as an investment slash house. And many people that have have purchased as investment slash houses will decide that they're just going to abandon it and walk away rather than participate in the necessary revolution. The revolution's going to come about because you're going to get those people that are legitimately homeowners, okay, that that uh, put an emotional investment in the property, that bought into the American dream. They'll be the last ones to give it up, and they may have to uh, be persuaded uh, to do so uh, violently in the initial part of it. The problem for the authorities is going to be that they're going to run into the same kind of thing that happened in the Depression with the anti-sale tactics, where the the foreclosure auctions were swamped by people who would uh, bid basically uh, all less than a dollar or silent no bids, and you, they would really crowd out anybody that even dared to raise a finger, that sort of a deal, but, you know, uh, stopping it through intimidation. Uh, now we're going to see something, I think, a little bit more, um, uh, uh, a higher level of volume. And uh, probably uh, seeing the edges of it now with the, the state of uh, unease that's going through the population that's leading to uh, riots and, and meaningless violence relative to that. Those are people that have already passed the uh, nothing to lose stage. Real soon, we're going to get to that foreclosure level where lots of people will see it coming and they won't have anything to lose. And so they'll just decide to make a stand. These otherwise rational people may indeed choose to be uh, revolutionaries in the sense of telling the banks, no, I'm, I'm not going to participate. You know, this is an uh, unlawful act and uh, you can leave. And, um, if you get enough of these people doing this at a time when the government is being squeezed by uh, budgets on the other end and the number of law enforcement is dropping, you'll find a necessary number of violent incidences. incidents will occur as the, the police overreact and then a counter backlash wave that will shut the whole thing down. When in 2001, when uh, Rumsfeld reported that we lost $2.3 trillion, that's the equivalent of 11 and a half million homes. Why can't they just decide, you know what, in order to jumpstart the economy, let's slash some of the mortgages, maybe 25, 30%? Actually, they will do that in, in something close to that in a very short period of time. But what they'll do is, uh, from the government's viewpoint, is that they're going to try an act of desperation, at least it was forecast in the report here that got eaten by the virus, was that government was going to get into a situation where they were going to do direct bailouts. Mm. Uh, and it, it was described in, um, 
more uh, Roman Empire terms in terms of what we got. So it may originate in some place like Italy or Spain, but there was a lot of it in the populous USA uh, entity as well. And it goes to the idea that the government will give you enough to buy your mortgage down or something. Uh, basically, it'll be a bailout through to the mortgage companies back up to the banks, but by direct check to the uh, the plebeian understructure. Uh, it's going to have really severe consequences, though, which will will come out real early in the process, which will basically uh, run the whole process just uh, instantly to a dead halt. And it'll be, again, a backlash issue from those people that were about to be conned out of what they thought was their last asset, which is the mythical idea that they have any equity or, or ability to participate in these uh, uh, properties anymore. Yeah, when we think of... Uh property taxes, real estate taxes, real royalty. We still pay taxes to the kingdom, aren't we? Yeah, it's uh, it's rather disgusting. Yes, yes. In a republic even, yeah. Exactly. And another question. The Arab Spring, true organic revolution or fomented from the outside? And if so, what is the purpose and end result? You can no longer differentiate. There was indeed the the emotional wherewithal within that populace for the revolution to occur. Was there an outside spark? Had it been dampened down by outside influence? I don't know that either matters anymore. So I don't. I refuse to uh, go along with the idea that we've got to continue this this labeling in uh, black and white terms. You know, it's a good revolution or a bad revolution, that sort of thing. Uh, you can't really state it that way. And to imagine that the world operates that way, I think, limits your uh, ability to perceive what is something closer to what's really going on. And sure, I would suspect the uh, that there were um, uh, backhanded gloves operating everything around there. Uh, but you can't just pop up a revolution. It's got to exist within the populace. I think that the... Uh, so it's a push. Yeah, it, no, it may have. I don't know. There's just no way of telling. Um, and once going, though, that that's the whole deal here, right? Um At a metaphoric level, if you're out there moving a heavy mass, you've got your uh, wheelbarrow absolutely jam-packed full of uh, heavy rock, and it's sitting on the ground, uh, you know that there is that uh, uh, millisecond to a second kind of a reaction as you put your hands on there and, and stand up with the weight and taking the weight on your legs as it ripples up through your body and your hands end, end up as like um, cables to lift this weight, that's the only period of time that you feel the true standing dead weight within the wheelbarrow. Once it's moving, the dynamics of its weight change dramatically. And, you'll, and you see that uh, people have a heart building momentum. Correct. And the moment of a moving mass makes it easier to shift and turn. And this is quite true with large-scale revolutions. So uh, I think it was Lenin or somebody that was associated with him uh, who once made the comment that, you know, revolutions were uh, very easy to steer, remarkably so. And so, so once they get going on their own, there's probably people that are just sitting around waiting to take advantage of them because they see that they're beginning, uh, they see the beginning of them just like the, the CIA or the other individuals. So Lenin also said that the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. Correct. <laughs> yes, I know. Now, have you followed the news on the quote-unquote comet, Elenin? I put comet yeah. uh, in quotes because I, I keep receiving information, Cliff, that it's not a comet. What is the predictive language showing you? 
well, we don't see this show that there's any uh, instant death or anything from it. It is interesting that there is a uh, seeming correlation between a uh, spike in earthquakes and its alignment with uh, other solar system um, uh, bodies like Earth and uh, some of the and the gas giants. The more interesting part of it for me anyway, was the idea not that it was like a Nibiru or Planet X or something or, or any of these, uh, like a dwarf star or anything, but rather that its mass must be uh, unusual for its size because the visual indications that we're getting, uh, it's like the opposite of the moon. The moon is very light and, and seemingly hollow for its size and its position. So what we see coming in in the form of the comet appears to be dense. Uh, not necessarily very large, but dense. And that's interesting because it's having an out of, uh, seemingly, is having an out of size or out of mass uh, level of um, energy propagation in our solar system. Uh, and in and in that sense, it is it is rather interesting. Well, let's get to the very deep questions now, Cliff. You start the shape of things to come report version ten, with the Terra bipolar disease showing a growth rate that you note as most disturbing. Specifically, you see a clear split in the data sets: earthquakes economically splintering for U.S. of A. Do you think this might be alluding to the New Madrid fault system, which, uh, if it were to rupture, would physically split the U.S. of A along the fault line Mississippi River, as well as economically split the U.S. of A due to the economic importance of the Mississippi River Delta, the Mississippi River Commerce, and the East-West Highway Railways transportation routes that would be significantly disrupted? Uh, yeah, I agree with the idea that it could be the New Madrid. Uh, physically, I don't know that the crack would be large enough to separate the continental mass, although it might be because there is an existing crack. We're in a splintering phase of the Earth's expansion. That's quite clear. If it, so, if it did crack, uh, it would sort of make sense that we would have the focus that everybody's been putting on New Madrid now in a pending phase just from my line of work. In other words, 40 years ago, uh, worries about an earthquake would not have extended this way. And it's because we were all prescient enough 40 years ago to know that there was not going to be a large New Madrid fault. And basically what I'm suggesting is is that as the tensions within the planet build at a point of potential, there may be a connection to the human consciousness to the point where we suddenly start worrying about it. Uh, very much like uh, below our level of uh, conscious awareness, a small cedar <laughs> sliver is in our toe has started to become infected. And at some point, we do become aware of it, and we deal with it before it becomes life-threatening. And we may be connected to the planet at that level to where we're all a little bit uh, jittery about Nomadrid. We probably have really damn good reason to be so, and it's probably our interconnection with Earth. It's basically trying to say, hey, nobody's, nobody live around here for a while. Uh, by, by the way, the other uh, staggering level of effect, should we have a New Madrid uh, quake, is not necessarily going to be the destruction of bridges, although that was a, an interesting forecast in 
the shape reports or the last all I can't remember at the moment we, that we were going to have an earthquake that would shatter bridges for a thousand miles around and of course that would have a huge economic impact on the US should that occur along that key corridor but the other uh, the other issue would for me the more pressing one would be the level of um, nuclear contamination to this continent should we have a New Madrid uh, earthquake and the expected uh, splitting of the populace would become uh, very rapidly separating not only along the New Madrid fault but also along the east-west or, or it'd be a vertical split between uh, the the country in the east and west because the the prevailing winds would carry all the pollution radioactive and other uh, over to the east meaning that uh, we may find that people from the East have to be contained simply because they've become too radioactively uh, contaminated, just like some of the countries around Japan are now halting travelers and giving them a thorough checkup and in some cases having to do radioactive cleanup on them. In order, speaking of the New Madrid fault, in order to stop a glass windshield crack, you have to drill a hole in one of the endings. Do you think the BP oil spill could have been that hole to stop the New Madrid crack? No, no, uh, because the analogy doesn't hold uh, on, a, on a sphere. Uh, the, the, our sphere is expanding. The, every evidence that's ever pointed towards a crustal shift can be explained by the expanding planet. The expanding planet math is showing up everywhere. But I think that the BP... Um, Uh, uh, release of that energy at that spot was extremely precisely chosen and that it accomplished the goal at the higher level that ordered it at all of the uh, sub-levels. In other words, um, you know, a bunch of subcontractors made a lot of money on the cleanup and all this kind of stuff. But also at the very high end, what occurred was damaging uh, to the loop current and still is, which damaged the Gulf Stream, which has had, had a remarkable impact not only on ocean current flow, but also more dramatically on the jet stream. And so we now have had this weird period here since the BP oil spill where we're into an increasing um, separation north and south in the planet. And it not only are we dealing with the normal effect of the Corollis effect and so on, where the atmosphere would tend to spin in the opposite direction towards the poles, but we're also seeing now that the mixing layer, the boundary layer across the equator, has been disrupted by the jet stream flow and in most cases has virtually ceased. This has had the curious effect, since BP occurred before Fukushima, of concentrating the resultant Fukushima Uh, pollution, radioactive pollution, to the northern hemisphere, at least insofar as atmospheric effects. So when I put that, now I'm a paranoid fellow, so it's no um, uh, uh, real stretch of the imagination to see that, that I see that that's connected with what I think of as this I don't want to know dampening effect on the sheeple, which might be engineered for all I know. You know, maybe the frequencies being emitted by the various transmitters and so on affect you if you are a regular sheeple and consume sheeple food and do sheeple things. Not being so, I can't tell uh, what the overriding uh, impetus is, but at least I am able to determine that there is a pattern emerging that seems to show that the sheeple mind 
while it had been on the upswing, has definitively moved downwards in terms of a deliberate uh, shielding of itself from further new information. And now they want to put lithium in the water. Yeah, exactly. And it's as though that has already happened. On one level, our, our data in this last report was rather um, telling. And then as I was working on the report that got eaten up, the data set had been significantly reinforced with the idea that, as I say, the sheeple consciousness that's exhibiting itself in the form of all of the sheeple around the planet uh, has been... Uh, um, toned down, whether that's natural or manipulated. Well, it's probably too convenient to be uh, anything other than manipulation, but nonetheless, it's it's quite real and was really sensed by our spiders, and so it makes me wonder about the the timing on a lot of this. And I know a lot of the woo-woo guys are, on a personal level, rather pessimistic about the outcome of the next few months and into the next year. In the next paragraph involving the bipolar disease, you connect the magnetic fields, toroid disturbances, and terrestrial phenomena together with the human reactions. Do the data sets appear to support the theories that solar and celestial magnetic anomalies may have greater effects on tectonic interactions on the planet? And has has it been suggested in the past when solar disturbances precede earthquake events and the human reactions that follow? Yeah, uh, yes to both of those. The, the It's quite clear from the data sets that the sun is uh, hugely dominant, which is why I cannot at this point say that the dampening of the giant sheeple mine coincident with the Fukushima quake and at all is, a, is not a natural phenomenon. It might well be a natural response to the changes in the sun. And I know there's changes in the sun at a couple of levels. Not only do we have data, but for a number of years here, I ran a very annoying experiment that just irritated my wife no end because all over our <laughs> back deck, I had I had very dangerous bits of solar gear, many of them involving uh, precise, uh, precisely located uh, sharp uh, pointy objects that being used as gnomon and uh, other calendric devices as well as uh, other sharp devices for measuring uh, angles of declination and so on. Eventually, you know, she'd had enough and that was disassembled. However, I had a six or seven year history of, of virtually daily sun um, analysis. This was initially triggered by the results in 1997 that this told me that the sun was diseased. But then I, I, um, I have a further um, uh, issue now in the sense that I've gotten a calibrated prism from 1853 that has, the, uh, has etchings on it that cause the prism to have a tiny black line separating each of the color bands in the uh, fractu- fractured uh, white light. And so when you display it on an um, archival level uh, bit of white paper, you would be able to have a, a virtual black line that separated the red from the orange and the orange from the yellow and then the yellow from the white and so on. And, um, and this was from 1853. So those lines were put on in a period of time when the sun was vastly different than it is today, which was my presumption. And I wanted this prism to check it out. And sure enough, the prism comes up and showing that we are in a sun that is vastly different from 1853. It cost me $15 plus shipping from China. So <laughs> I, th- I think it was worthwhile. Um, and it, and it's very interesting prism, uh, showing that indeed the red, 
uh, level of the spectrum is much reduced, uh, almost non-existent compared to the late 1800s. It shows that orange is still there, but fading. Yellow has shifted uh, rather uh, markedly into where orange used to exist. And uh, we've had an increase in the... Um, uh, blue range as well as the ultraviolet on the other side of it, which is indicated by this little crosshatch uh, uh, marker on the prism. And and so that's an indication number one. We're actually dealing with different light coming from the sun, at least here at my latitude of 47 north. So uh, the next thing I... I tried to do was to determine by way of heat patterns if we're dealing with something at a different level. Now, a heat pattern study can be done in a number of ways, but once you're used to doing them, uh, you'll find that the cheapest way is probably a good pair of sunglasses and a really good sheet of white paper. And by that, I mean a sheet of paper that they would say is archival, has no acids in it, uh, in, and it would have a pure white reading of zero, zero or zero, 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 right. uh, depending on the scale. Anyway, what you do is you look at the Put it out in the midday sun between, say, 10.30 and 1.30 at your time in a cloudless day, and you, you look at the paper through the sunglasses from a distance that is at your focal point with your eyes. So you'll have to, in essence, put it at where you would put a comfortable reading distance. But you want to look at the um, middle of the paper at an angle that's about uh, 30 to 45 degrees up from the horizontal. And there you will see, if you've got a good set of polarizing sunglasses, these um, ripples, if you will, in the seeming fabric of space after your eyes adjust to the reflection of the white. And those are the actual photonic, uh, the, the after effects of the photons striking the paper and your eyes. And the, if you will, it's like almost being able to look up a frequency or two out of your normal universe because you're seeing an effect that is caused in your consciousness by the delayed response of the after image of the photons as they ripple through space, through the polarized glasses, in through your retina, into the visual center of your brain where they're turned in from an inverted grapheme into this wavy image. And uh, it will make sense to you if you ever try the experiment. And you'll see these things after a couple of minutes. Anyway, they have radically changed since uh, the last time I did the study, which was in 2007. And you can mark on the little paper with a pencil as the extent of the waves as you perceive them. And you'll actually notice that they change over time during the day from day to day and so on. And you can get to be a very good observer of these things. Uh, it's not like seeing orbs or anything like that. It's a very explainable phenomenon given the rods and the cones and how they work through your the swapping of the visual cortex and the whole deal. Uh, but it is a learned skill, and it comes in quite handy. And I've actually heard from Polynesians, as an aside, that there's something similar to that is used by them to determine where magnetic north is with no compass. Uh, so it's... In other words, uh, basically an in inherent innate ability of humans. And if you do this and track the sun, you'll notice that uh, probably over the next few months, you'll be able to, to observe the changes this way, as I've observed them over the past couple of years. And it, it appears to have really accelerated. So since the sun is putting out all of this stuff, there's a whole lot of question in my mind as to whether 
Um, you know, BP, for instance, was trying to cause the stopping of a quake because maybe it wasn't uh, the right timing for them or whether they, in fact, were attempting to initiate a blockage of the um, uh, jet stream flow by shutting down the loop current, which in turn, you know, and yada, yada, yada. So uh, because the sun's playing in on all of this, I, I suspect at one level that there's a lot of uh, power projected onto the powers that be that they don't really have, but I do suspect that they're very adroit at spotting the moment in terms of moving mass kind of moment in time where the masses are shifting their particular direction and giving them the nudge they want in particular ways. Many people say, people my age say, I remember growing up, I remember the sun being kind of a orangey looking. I moved to the desert about 10, 15 years ago, and I remember the blue skies Now it's almost as if you put a little bit of white mixed with that blue. And I wonder, is it the sun or is it the effects of the chemtrails? Uh, there's persistent chemtrails now, there's no doubt. And that is that they exist at a very high level even when there is no direct spraying that day. I think they're pretty well planet-wide with some levels of concentration based on magnetic flow and this sort of thing. So... Uh, you're not wrong. The skies have changed color, um, and it is persistent, even though there are no chemtrails on a, on a given day. It's interesting, though, about the um, orange being orange yellow sun stuff being reported, because that's precisely what we're saying is absent now. And this has a lot of very interesting effects, uh, not only on humans, but on the planet around us. And thus, we're in a, an extinction level event. Of, we may be in a very large level of extinction in the sense that, you know, it may be the fifth or the sixth or the fourth or the third most uh, devastating to life on the planet. And it's going to include plants. It's going to include the plants we depend on. And people need to start basically deciding how they're going to react to this as these changes accelerate over the next few months and into the next few years. In one of my businesses next door, there's a crystal shop, and there was a, a psychic there one night. I decided just to pop in and see what he had to say. So I asked him, what do you see for 2012? And he said, I see, and this was about two, three years ago, I see the leaves turning purple. And I said, what do you make of that? Well, the ultraviolet rays seem to be more powerful during that time. Do you see that too? Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, this is part of the, uh, I'm, I don't know about the leaves turning purple, but it, he may be actually phrasing something uh, that's appropriate in an inappropriate way. In other words, he, what he actually may be seeing is that purple-leaved plants will predominate or dominate because they're better able to deal with the ultraviolet. Right. Makes sense, right? Yes. So just on a selection of the species stuff. But here's the whole thing. Um, uh Cottrell is correct about the mega sunspot cycle uh, and is incorrect about all of his religious assumptions associated with it. Uh, Hapgood was correct about all of his um, evidence that he saw for a crustal shift, but, it, but didn't know about the expanding planet theory. And if he had and had been shown the evidence, I'm pretty convinced he would have said, aha, this is why all of this occurred, because the planet expanded, not because the crust shifted. But the uh, thing that Cottrell found was the connection between the expansion and the uh, solar changes is pretty direct. We've, we've, thus, we've since had it confirmed by a number of other guys in the woo-woo research world. They keep coming up and saying, hey, this cataclysm back 
you know, 13,000 years ago, 26,000 years ago, 43,000 years ago, 89,000 years ago, whichever one of those you want to address was, was linked to a, a sun cycle that had, had completed, initiated, or, or again, however we want to think about it. It's a particular point in a cycle, and it's not like they're going to turn the light off and then let the bulb cool down and then turn it back on again. We would never know the real lead, the ending of one of these mega sunspot cycles from the beginning of another. I do not believe on a dramatic basis from a day-to-day kind of thing. Uh, We may see it as we're seeing it now on an accelerated dramatic basis over the course of a year and so on. But but here's the real interesting component to this. These extinction uh, events also coincide with these 100,000-year orbital cycles of the Earth. Those 100,000-year orbital cycles of the Earth also coincide with ice ages. Ice ages also seem to coincide with predominant uh, amounts of the blue spectrum and less of the orange and yellow. So we either are responding to that on a Earth level, either our particular point in the orbit and the changes in the sun light towards the blue spectrum and thus are, quote, triggered into the Ice Age uh, as a natural response. Or there is a direct correlation as though uh, in the grand planetary scheme of things, Uh, a gene has been turned on that is going to decide a whole new future here for the next 100,000 years or 40,000 years, however long it lasts. And that future is going to be this ice age. And I say that because it's quite probable that the latter is true, that just as our bodies have genes that will turn on and produce cancers for, quote, unknown reasons, and it's probably quite directly connected to karma and, and other um, uh, frequency uh, deals we can't uh, uh, really articulate or measure. We, I think we're also seeing that in the universe. And so it may be that the sun, in a sense, knows that we're at a particular point in our orbit in this 100,000-year cycle, and it's decided that we're going to have an ice age, and so it's, it's shifting in, the, in its larger agenda into this blue uh, light, which is causing a lot of the changes that we see here, which in turn has caused our uh, humans to react at various different levels to all these changes, including lots of people going crazy and violent and so on, and our powers that be getting a little bit strange, and it is probably not a coincidence that we're at the level of the edge of the petri dish in terms of population growth just at this particular point in the cycle. Are the data sets suggesting a quote-unquote triple whammy coming solar, tectonic, or human that may be the cause for the increase in supporting data sets that are linked to the bipolar disease? Yes. Um, I, I don't know that it's going to be limited to triple because we're going to see uh, so many different challenges so at such large scale that it's a question of which ones do you want to focus on and if you've only got uh, if you're if you've only got 11 channels in your in your mind and you need four of them just to keep your body up and moving around uh, then you've only got a limited number of other conscious channels you can devote to things so you're not going to be really focused on all of the issues that are affecting us but uh, it's It's going to be more than a triple whammy in that sense. Uh, There's a couple of forecasters that are saying that no matter what, civilization has reached certain um, speed bumps. Or in my case, I'd say we've reached in some areas the edge of the Petri dish because we didn't start in the exact middle. So we're going to reach one edge sooner than the other. 
And so we've reached some of these resource edges, and we're seeing those resource edges exhibit their strain on the global population now. And that, of course, is directly related to the uh, Arab Spring. You can say it's the an Arab Spring, or you can more accurately in my mind rephrase that from the spin of oh you, you know because they're trying to sell it as a popular color uprising right. and you could rephrase it as you know uh, something along the lines of uh, what do you do in spring when you have no food you know you, you go and you riot right, right exactly uh, or you know the, an alternative sporting event when uh, all the foodstuffs are gone uh, so um, that, I think, is a more accurate description of what's actually occurring, is that the impact on the biosphere, the level at which the species consumes everything, the geopolitical stresses being placed on everything, and in addition to that, the underlying economic manipulation that tends to support the giant pyramid scheme of wanting to put another layer on the bottom just to keep everything going so it's nice and smooth and, and good for those on the top is all coming to an end, which may answer in a curious kind of a way um, the ultimate question. Not the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything, but the rather the ultimate question of why would the powers that be want to kill off vast numbers of those beings that support the lifestyle that they've got uh, that they that, to which they've become accustomed. It's never made sense to me. They've always needed as many humans as they could get to buy into their whole scheme to support them at all these different levels, and it made no sense at all that that they would wish a mass die-off or in any way a culling of the herd. But there's now some quasi-rational support for the idea that, well, they may understand exactly where we are at, at a species level beyond the ability of the normal rational Wujo member to really grasp, these people have an acute sense of uh, place and time in history. And thus they know that the uh, that they're facing the uh, alternative sporting event when there's no foodstuffs at a global level and they don't want to deal with that and the ensuing chaos and everybody pointing fingers at them. And so their approach is to wait until just at the exact last minute and when all of the soccer hooligans are all really whipped up in the soccer stadium and then slam all the doors and do something nasty. Uh, and we're probably in that latter stage where they're slamming the doors and they're starting all their nastiness because everything is coincidentally uh, ratcheting up in the last uh, four or five or six months, at the same time that everything is coincidentally clamping down in terms of international travel between, uh, you know, giant sheeple farms that we call continents. <laughs> uh, throughout the years, the rogue theory of uh, Planet X or Nibiru has included language uh, very similar to language recently bracketed by the spiders in version 10, version 10 of the Alter Report. For example, terms such as polar problem, creeping up, visibility, mainstream media discussion or cover-up, multiple magnetic poles, global scientific establishment, etc. These terms or similar terms have been used to describe the observation, approach, cover-up, and the effects of the nemesis or Nibiru dark star or whatever name you want to attribute it to uh, Planet X. You have in the past deflated any suggestions that the bots' languages may be suggesting Planet X? Do you still stand by this? And, and is there any chance these familiar terms may be a result of the recent 
Comet Elenin discussions, or dare we say, Planet X? Uh, yeah, I still stand by my um, understanding that uh, Planet X is a disinfo campaign. Uh, the language that is bracketed came from the Sun subset within the uh, Space Goat Farts subsets uh, in, and also has interconnections back over to the powers that be. So we, we know from some of the stuff that we don't report on anymore, which is basically the powers that be entity, that there are deliberate campaigns of monitoring and redirecting, again, being able to use the moment of the language as it's in play and redirecting it to different themes that are controllable. So they feel the Planet X um, uh, discussion set is a uh, an interesting backwater that they can, a cul-de-sac, if you will, into which they can trap X number of minds, and they do so by using the same language that is naturally arising um, in, in conjunction with uh, ongoing solar changes. And so we're faced with a situation here where I've heard lots and lots and lots of stuff about Planet X. It's a very convincing. The mathematics never really quite add up when you investigate them, and I always investigate those things that I'm interested in. And opposed to that, I can go on out and look with my own lying eyes at the prism and the other solar apparatus I've got here and see distinct sun changes. So since we're in a situation of the sun having the greater mass, 98% of the mass in the solar system, in order for an object to uh, influence the sun, it would have to have a very large mass or it would have to have a very large angular momentum. Uh, if it had a large angular momentum and was coming in from outside the solar system, that also to a certain extent implies a very, very large mass. Even a dwarf star would have, in order to cause changes relative to our sun, would have to be so close as to be observable by the millions of backyard telescopes. Even with chemtrails, I would be convinced that we would be seeing it on the order of, you know, five and 6,000 reports a day. Uh, credible photograph kind of things. I, so far, none of that's ever checked out. So it would be convenient because it would imply, and by the way, it's a, also a subset of the external savior myth. And it's a curious uh, external subset, but it follows the rules that the powers that be have employed through their minions, the Masons, and all of these other secret societies, where they'll flip and invert everything. And so in this case, we have... Uh, a more Hindu-like destroyer kind of a savior in the form of the planet X coming to destroy the humans. And yet it will pass. And so in a sense, even though it'll, it'll destroy us all, there's always that little bit of hope that, well, you know, I'll be among the elect, I'll be among the saved that will make it through this giant uh, world-changing event because of, and then you apply whatever it is. You know, I've got red hair, blue eyes, whatever it is. And uh, you put that in in your mind and off you go with this particular mind uh, meme and you follow yet again another 
example of the external savior myth. And so you're walking away from your sovereignty as an individual when you start subscribing to these theories. And it's fine. If there's ever any evidence that Planet X is out in the sky and I can point my little telescope at it and see it or anything along those lines, it's like, well, okay, then then I can definitively say uh, that's what's causing part of the, the issues here. But the sun is still massively huge compared to anything in our solar system. And it would take a lot of Jupiters and Saturns to go walk about in order to cause significant issues with the sun on the level that we're seeing now. So I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that the sun changes are the center of it all and that everything else is so far basically a distraction. And John Lamb Lash is listening, and he's agreeing with you that Planet X, uh, Nibiru, and all that is purely disinformation. And it doesn't matter if it was uh, written on a, a tablet, a stone tablet, that's still disinformation. Oh, I, I don't buy that at all. I mean, that whole translation of that Sumerian is bogus on the face of it, just sitting around with um, uh, uh, L. Austin Waddell's book, and then the fact that uh, Sitchin never said he, that this line came from this tablet, so you can never double-check him. Exactly. And here's the last question before we take a quick intermission. Is the toroid anomaly and toroid-induced macro changes, referring specifically to the magnetic field of the Earth, which has an elongated toroidal shape based on the direction of the solar wind? No, no, no. Uh, let, let me just stop right there. We have the to toroid, as we're using it, perhaps I should have better defined it, uh, given more of the descriptor set, is a much larger uh, concept. The toroid, uh, what you're describing there at the magnetic level, is but a single um, uh, instance of the to toroid being measured. Uh, so, in other words, it, it'll also... We'll, we'll also see it not only simply in magnetic, but we'll see it at other frequencies. We'll see all of a sudden that there will be, you know, electrical problems. There will be uh, radio problems, all of which are basically magnetic. But then there are, it may indeed even be part of what's causing the sheeple dampening effect on the giant level of consciousness on the planet. Uh, it's not possible for me to measure that, but we measure the... The symptom of the mind dampening by way of the downturn of emotionally uh, associated language, but we're not able to connect that with a toroid effect, but it may indeed be at some level causing that. So this is a much larger descriptor set than merely the magnetic or the magnetosphere. This is a uh, true prong question. Uh, yeah. The data sets connected the toroid changes to food production and weather and climate changes. Do you think they are suggesting bee migration patterns pollen settling patterns and global atmospheric uh, jet stream disruptions which would seriously disrupt air travel for planes birds and bees alike uh yes but again that's just a minor symptom of the larger uh impact that we'll see from uh the toroid changes so uh the, the food production, it may actually be striking at something close to DNA level or spark of life level. Uh, we're seeing it in a manifest around us in the form of an extinction where we're watching species go extinct from a variety of reasons. You can say at one level as you watch this occur with plants of a particular kind. For instance, we've had um, 
Oh, clematis is a, is a particular one that's been susceptible here recently. And you, and, and you can compare that to kiwi. They're both vining plants. They both have broad leaves, although the kiwi is much larger, of course. Uh, they both burn in the new actinic rays coming from the sun. But our clematis plants have decided or are succumbing to the environment at a much higher level than the kiwi plant. Now, the reason for that may have to do with the toroid changes that are going to favor certain kinds of, if you will, uh, spin uh, factors within life. And that level was, was indicated within the data, but it's very difficult to actually get out and write that in a meaningful way without going into all kinds of obscure uh, physics about electron spin resonance and so on. But we actually are of the opinion having seen the data that the toroid effects uh, not only will will screw around with things like uh, the radioactive decay rates of carbon-14, but uh, may indeed also uh, mess with the ability of grasses or uh, other crops, specifically food crops, to germinate. And the issue with the seeds is that you can take the uh, seeds from the same plant put some of them in the ground here and they grow. They will germinate. You can take those seeds into space and they will not germinate. And you can bring the seeds back to Earth, those same seeds that have been in space, and you can make them grow here, where they theoretically have amazing new properties, if you believe the um, uh, NASA PR. NASA has spent a great deal of time taking seeds into space and then bringing them back, presumably to try and capture some weird, strange, mutagenic properties that uh, exist in space that don't exist here, although they're never really quite clear about that. But one thing that is quite clear is that they cannot germinate seeds in space. Seeds, of course, are the basis for our entire species in the form of food crops that all basically go down to plants. We also know from tens of years of experiments that the Soviets conducted that they ran into the same issues where it was just almost impossible to to germ in fact they never were successful at at germinating uh, seeds in space. Now get this, the the answers for that are are all skirt around the same central issue of, of answering it. Basically, we don't know why. So if you look at the Russians, you'll see that uh, over the years, uh, an interesting phenomena occurred. Various different theories held sway for a while, and then each one was attempted, tested, and in, in experiments and uh, debunked, and they went on to the next one. They, they thought, for instance, it was magnetics, and so they built magnetic containment vessels, and so that didn't help. They thought that it was um, uh, light, and then they thought it was pressure, because up in space, there's this uh, interesting effect where the pressure in your body wants to become uh, homospatial in the sense it all wants to go the same distance from the central core, unlike here in the on Earth. And I think those two things are very key to understanding how the universe really functions if one wanted to pursue them. You know, why do humans become more cartoon and balloon-like in space? Well, it, it has to do with this underlying issue that it also relates to the seeds. They just won't germinate because there's no appropriate key energy. And so you can think of it as the old yin and yang business. A seed is a yang uh, substance, it's life, it's movement, it's growth. But in order for yang to exist, we must have appropriate yin energy. And so one way to express this idea is that the there is no yin energy in space and thus seeds won't grow. 
And basically, if we take that all the way back to the original question about the toroid affecting the food crops, what I'm saying is that our data indicates that there's going to be an effect at that basic yin energy level on a great deal of life on this planet, including some subset of the crop of the plants we now think of as food crops and it won't be due to any specific environmental factors such as the bees suddenly deciding that they want to go and you know play out on the beach somewhere down near mel but rather uh, something much more uh, intrinsic to how life works that we have yet to be able to measure or quantify and cliff we have to take our one and only break once again how do we get in touch with your work by your reports mm. There's two ways now. You can go ahead and uh, go to halfpasthuman.com and spend some money and, uh, and or ask for a free copy. If you want a free copy, there's instructions on how to get one. Uh, or you can open up your curtains and watch what's going to happen outside. Because <laughs> we're going to be living through it at the moment. <laughs> good one, good one. Well, folks, this was only the tip of the iceberg. We have so much more territory to cover when we come back from our break. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Cliff High from HalfPassHuman.com. And you're listening to Veritas at VeritasShow.com. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just head on over to our website, VeritasShow.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest of the show. As a member, have you subscribed to the iTunes link? Let iTunes download all segments of each new show automatically. There's a link in the members section. Just click on it and let iTunes do the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Enjoy.
This is Jay Widener, and you're listening to Veritas. Veritas.